Howdy, friends. Dave here again, um, breaking into the opening, hopefully for the last time, uh, to make excuses for the uh, compromised audio you'll be hearing in uh, the second half of our conversation, which was uh, recorded on April 6th, 2017, in which Palmer and I talked for uh, a marathon of four hours. We decided to break it into two. Uh, so this is the second half of that conversation. Uh, we're picking it up after a... Um, uh, one of many bathroom breaks I took as uh, <laughs> I had a lot of fluids in my system at the time and uh, the bladder of an infant. So um, again, the, the way that this one sounds is completely my fault. I, I managed to not hit a couple of very key buttons that are, that uh, separate the what should be, just be the reference track uh, of, of what I hear in the video chat and then my clear audio like you're hearing now on the other channel. I managed to forget to separate them in the, uh, in the, in the machine in which I record things, so they're mixed together. Um, so while there is a lovely isolated track of Palmer somewhere on my hard drive, I wasn't able to separate the, uh, the elements here and to give them to Moda to make them sound great. So please forgive me, one and all, for um, the kind of odd... Uh, character of the sound, but the, the quality of the conversation was such that uh, I felt we needed to keep the episode and present it to you. Uh, so without further ado, um, here is the second half of Palmer and My Conversation. Um, we're calling it the uh, episode 18B, like the flip side or the you know side two of a record. So anyway, um, here it is. Oh, all right. Let me get my ears on oh i'm in cool beans awesome. sorry it's so dark i just realized i was gonna turn the light on but i didn't here wait let me get it for you <gasps> oh god hold on <laughs> i was just thinking we need to share that video you sent me because you come out of darkness yeah with that fucking lightsaber so uh, i'm back from my I'm back. Can we share that? I don't know how to contextualize it, but. It growls. What? Why? What is that meant to? So, okay. Let's just. Well, so I'm stepping on your last pick again. No, that's okay. Let's save it. We're going to save it. Oh, but let's, tw I'm going to, can I tweet the video to tease it yeah. or should we not? Yeah, yeah. Cause yeah. no, let's, let's say it, say it, say it, say it. Let's say what it is. Yeah. We'll, 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 let's talk about it and then we'll talk about the lightsaber. Oh, my, my thing. Okay. Um, the, the, I, you know, I, I didn't pee that long, but I had to pee so bad. I walked hunched over. Oh man, it's crazy! And then, uh, and then on the way back, I those, like last second peas. I, I mean, there's, I will admit, in my old age, Ooh. some peas. Ooh. are some peas start before I like before I get all the way like situated. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just remembered I got to take my medicine. <laughs> I mean, that's part of it. Hashtag old guy problems, but um, yep. so oh, but I and I was coming back. <laughs> And the bride's letting the dogs out. And she goes, because I typed it out because I had time. She said, uh, you know what that is, girls? The sound That's the sound of me getting an extra beer. She goes, that's the sound of a wife abandoning bitch face man, baby. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Like, 
I hope people don't th- think that uh, I'm talking. Well, I mean, am, I am talking shit about her, but I would have it no other way. <laughs> so <laughs> you're talking shit about her, talking shit about you, though. Yeah. Like that. Like, don't feel guilty about. Well, that. no, I, I I don't feel bad, but every once in a while, I'll tell her, and she's like, "Don't people can think I'm horrible." I'm just like, "I think you're awesome." <laughs> so, uh, I think you are quite funny. It's all about how it's said. You. <laughs> you know, like exactly. Oh yeah, yeah, I say that a lot. It's like the Danny McBride thing, like on paper and might sound bad but in real life it's fucking awesome so um so my last thing sort of quickly before i I get we get into our um pretty cool uh king corner that i've been excited about is the last of these podcasts so uh and i I just heard it yesterday so i had so much to talk about before we i had so much to talk about like three days ago and now it it ended up being too much and whatever so these are all real brief i feel bad too no no don't don't feel bad i've had a fucking blast and some of what i would have talked about would have been a drag and now i feel much better about so as as you say they're like a yeah but this is therapy for you too i feel like i get a lot of therapy you should get therapy too i did yeah that's what i'm trying to tell you (laughs) because essentially rather than (laughs) rather than laying down on this couch i'm sitting on um i'm sitting up and i'm laughing and having a good time and, and i'm not carrying those things in the same way i was uh uh, prior so good um so so this last thing is uh the last podcast so the just to recap quickly uh, in case the, uh so we had the the danny boyle appearance on uh um the nerdist podcast where he's talking about uh filmmaking and um and he was talking in particular about how that sort of that at least what resonated for me was this whole thing about time and how filmmakers work with time because i make my living making uh, f- films of a sort, and then in my spare time, I, I make them as well. So there's that's going on all the time. And uh, just to say the word once more. <laughs> and then the Working Songwriter is a podcast by Joe Pug, who's a singer songwriter. That if you dig like literate uh, singer songwriters, and in the vein of you know your uh, Bob Dylan or Leonard Cohen, but uh, of a much younger ilk, uh, more contemporary, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find one better than Joe Pug. So. I, I, oh yeah, I love this guy's music and uh, the fact that he's doing this podcast where he's now talking to working songwriters. Um, that's an interesting distinction, whatever. But uh, but I think an important one actually. Uh, so I really appreciate this conversation he had. That his most recent edition, I think it'll be up for the whole month, where he talked to Noah Gunderson, who's um, I mentioned Sons of Anarchy earlier. That's how I discovered. Uh, that uh, singer-songwriter is, um, I imagine, a lot of people who know of him. Um, in any event, great discussion about music, social media, songwriting, a bunch of stuff that has plagued and troubled me. And um, coming from those two guys was just a really, a really refreshing uh, conversation that m- made me feel better about all the, the things they discussed, but made me like them both more. And so th- that's a lot to pull off, I guess. Uh, and then the third one is Kevin Smith's appearance on a podcast called the fighter and the kid. So, um, uh, yeah, don't, not to get too much into it, but very, very fun side note. I got, I did get to have, I'm going to crack a beer here to, to mention it in case he hears this. Cause he's listening to him, binging it. I got to have a beer with a cabin kid whose name I don't know how to refer to, but I think you might know because I mentioned it off air. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, hey, he, buddy. He, yeah, hey. He's probably caught up by now. Like, Mother, I mean, oh, my God. Like, I, I, you know, I mentioned things that I make to people, and sometimes and I make a lot of things, and 
nine times out of ten, maybe nine and a half, their eyes glaze over and they're like, oh, oh, please move on. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> whether and that's fine, that's fine because any person like this, I'm mentioning it in a context in which they don't know me, so it's stepping out of some kind of box or whatever. But in any event, uh, but I, but I just I try to be mindful of that because of how sensitive I am about the things that I make. So I was throwing out there this thing we were doing to uh, this old cabin kit. He's not old. <laughs> uh, you are not old, sir, because you said that to me. So don't think you are when you hear this. You're certainly not older than us. Right? I don't think he is, right? He can't be. No, he's like our age. I yeah, mean- but probably a little younger than me. Okay, he might be older than you, but that doesn't make him old in general. No. <laughs> Uh, you're never going to be older than me. <laughs> so he won't be. No, I don't think. In any event, I got to have some beers with him and it was really great. And um, turns out he has a fair amount of time in his job to listen to podcasts. And um, one of them that he listens to is this, the Fighter and the Kid podcast. So let me see if I can go quickly to their pages to give the synopsis of who they are. Um, because we haven't talked about them before. Shit, it's taking me longer than I want to to get to it. Here we go. So The Fighter and the Kid. It's a weekly podcast featuring UFC heavyweight Brendan Schaub and actor-comedian Brian Callen. It's uncut and unedited, and sometimes it's just ridiculous. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> um, yeah, one guy used to be... He was like a pro... Or he was on the track to be a pro football player, ended up in the UFC by happenstance, and... And eventually, now, and now he's kind of in entertainment, but he hooked up with this comedian that I really like called Brian Callen. Uh, stand up. Double D. If you don't know of Brian Callen, look, uh, hopefully it's still on Netflix, look up uh, Man Class, I think it's called, or uh, Never Grow Up. Either of those two of his specials are fucking great. That guy kills me. He's also on the Goldbergs. Um, oh, wow. Oh, that, that dude... I can't full circle this episode. We yeah. just keep spiraling on ourselves. Oh man, there's so much of that the the stuff, the like the the heavy stuff, or not even heavy stuff, but just more serious that I could I could weave it into all of it, and even the king corner. I just all been swirling in my brain. So God bless this podcast. But so the brief thing about the fighter and kid, I have heard I would say easily seventy five percent of everything Kevin Smith has done or said, and that is saying something because the man that talks. Is, the man produces just as like. Way more media than we do, you do, than, than anyone I can think of. <laughs> but um, so I know his stories. I love that guy. Uh, you know, and I loved his films, and I came to just like him as a personality, which is kind of what he still makes films. He still makes a bunch of stuff, and that's kind of the point of this mention. Um, but his appearance on this show. Um, Brendan Schaub and, and Brian Callen are both very masculine guys. Like Brendan Schaub's a UFC fighter, but ultimately he's sort of a pussycat at heart to overgeneralize. Then Brian Callen is an actor comedian who wishes he could be like an Uber, you know, UFC fighter. He's <laughs> <laughs> hyper, uh, hyper sort of aware and appreciative of, of male um, mas- or just masculinity in general, which comes up a ton in this in this episode of their podcast. But I had never quite heard Kevin Smith tell this particular story or talk about this particular juncture in his life because I guess he was equating it to to Shab, who's transitioning from f- fighting in the UFC to being an entertainer and ultimately a stand up comic. Um, and he was kind of applauding him for that and essentially saying that. 
a lot of people, if they're celebrated for doing something, will just hitch their horse to that wagon for the end and really apply themselves and specialize in that one thing. And he said for him that was filmmaking. And eventually he he branched out into many different things and sort of said that that was a very good thing. In some ways, it's a very hard thing to let go of whatever it is that you became known for or appreciated for the most. Um, it was this kind of like cycle of, uh, not cycle, but fluidity of creativity and self-expression and the, and the, the hardships that come with trying to navigate that personally that are just things that really resonated with me. So between these three things that I mentioned about filmmakers dealing with time, uh, songwriters dealing with the music and the music business bullshit and like creative people dealing with different facets of their creativity, it was just like, fuck. Like, so, so those are all like tangible things that our listeners could, could grasp onto if they wanted to, um, that have all that touched me in the last week and that have touched upon things that have been real, that I've been really struggling with for the last couple of years. So, um, so yeah, those are my digs. I'll, I'll sort of list them individually and tweet them out, but that's, I mean, for me, that's pretty short. I'm, I'm proud. I'm patting myself no, on the no, back. That's great. <laughs> that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, so bits, we got just a couple more bits. You got your smoking stats handy? Uh, yeah, I can find those here. Uh, let's see here. So. And again, I it's ridiculous that I take this for granted, but it's also to your credit, I suppose. Um well, that seems dismissive as well. It's 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 incredible. I'm just like, what's your smoking stats? Assuming that for sure you haven't smoked because you, God knows you've given up enough and gone through enough. You're like, no, nope, not doing that. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, but I think if I would have done whole 30 and tried to quit smoking at the same time, that would have more relevance. But it, smoking, the smoking thing now is like so second hand or second nature now that I, it just doesn't there. I have thought about smoking in the last month. I'm not going to lie about that, but I thought about smoking just about every day for the last, let's find out. Well, I just, but just to put it in perspective from someone who hasn't gone through either of those things, what I imagine it to be is like you stub your toe hurts like a motherfucker. And then maybe you punch a wall just to distract your body from the pain from one angle, from one end of it to another, you know, both are hard and you just had one that was a little harder in that the last 30 days than the other, I would imagine. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably fair. I see what you're saying. Just, I just don't want you to discredit. Like you've, <laughs> I, I, I know you, maybe you're not proud of every way you've handled yourself in, in the throes of all this, but that doesn't discredit the Herculean task of just staying true to the, to the, to the mission and the, I don't know, y- yeah. y- your goals and what you're trying to do for yourself. I mean, no, I, I totally get it. And like, you know, there were accomplishments. Like I went 30 days without drinking soda, eating bread or pasta or peanut butter or or French fries, you know, like yeah. that. None of our listeners that. can write in and say they did that, nor have I. I guarantee it. Go ahead. Go ahead and write us in if you have. Um. So it, uh, it, like that accomplishment is great. It's just 
I mean, if I were satisfied with that, though, you never would get better. So, I I mean, I, I can totally give credit to those accomplishments, but I think it's okay that I wanted that I wanted me to have handled myself better in the last month. I wish I would have. Um, yes, it was a huge accomplishment, but I, in my personal opinion of, of how the month went, I really feel like it was overshadowed by the way that I acted during the month. And I regret that. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's part of what makes you a good dude, Palmer, <laughs> that you can say that. <laughs> I know it doesn't, it doesn't excuse the things that you did that you wish you hadn't. But it, yeah. it's, it, it's a, you know, and as they say, the first step is realizing that you have a problem. So, I mean, you, to be able to admit that you're wrong is, yeah. I'm not just saying like, don't worry about it, whatever you did. I'm just saying like, yeah. as your buddy, that's what, uh, that's the best I could hope for myself is to, is to recognize my own bad behavior. Cause that's the first step yeah. in changing it. That's true. And I, and, and, and that's a very, 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 very frequent thing in my own life. Believe yeah. you me. No, I very totally get it. fucking daily. So. Um, yeah, no, I totally get it. And, and, and it's totally true. So maybe I, I need to be a little less hard on myself. Um, and just, I just know that I'm just human. I, I like, that's the worst part is like, I want to be better than that though. Like, I want to be better than human, because uh, I think that I'm capable of it. So, nice. Um, You're still young, as <clears throat> far as yeah. I'm concerned. So, we'll see. Um, so, well, how many, well, yeah, how many days you gain back, speaking of being human and, uh, yeah. and, and trying uh, to be more? <laughs> uh, 18 days, 22 hours, 29 minutes, and 26 seconds. That's how much I've gained back of my life. So, you got that um, much more time to be a better dude, if that's possible. Yeah. But slow it yeah. down on the handsome. We've talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> and make and make the bride stop flirting with me. No, no, don't talk to you. You can't talk to her by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's my girl. Don't touch her again. <laughs> you don't scare me, freak. <laughs> oh, that's so great. It's so not a scary werewolf, but a great movie. <laughs> Uh, 276 days, 13 hours and 36 minutes. I've gone without nicotine. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty definitive. Um, I, I mean, that's just, that's crazy. It's, uh, le- less than a hundred days away from a year. It's so outrageous. Ooh. Um, I have n- saved $1,410 and 49 cents. And I have not smoked 4,701 cigarette. Ooh, very nice. That's a goddamn oh. high number. Yeah, I, 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 that one just blows me away. Um, that one always has blown me away that that is, that's just so, I mean, and that's on average, you know, you put in, you put in how many, cigarettes on average you smoked in a day and that's how it figures that out um so on average if i smoked a pack a day that's how much cigarettes i would have smoked by now like that just blows my mind that's a lot yeah uh so yeah totally a lot rock Um, on dude i 
I, I, this has been a mixed sort of a not a mixed message, but a mixed feeling like sense of accomplishment and how that's balanced with behavior. But uh, it's a hell of a, a balancing act you've been doing. And uh, I, I feel it though as, as, a, as though it sounds a bit condescending, but I definitely don't mean it that way. But I'm so proud of you for the things that you have done. And I have not, I can't say I've done anything comparable. And uh, yeah, anyway, congratulations. I, Thanks, dude. Uh, yeah. Cream of my coffee was probably the greatest thing yes. on the planet. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, can I tweet that picture of the the mug and the the was was that one of the first? There's that a, was the that was the first coffee. Oh, first okay. Yeah. Coffee with cream in it that I had. I'll do that. Yeah. Please, by all means, tweet that picture. That's <laughs> fine. Uh, with my giant Ohio mug. Oh, and and that reminds me. So you also sent me that lightsaber video. We were yeah. gonna explain that. So, so just very oh, randomly right. one day, I, did you send it with a text message or was it just this no, video? I just, I just sent the video, which is a fucking no. amazing. Like you have to go to our Twitter to see it. Uh, I'm not yeah. gonna, but you, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about uh, okay. the artifact and such. So my uh, mother-in-law is pretty awesome, and. Uh, she had left our Christmas presents with our sister-in-law in Pennsylvania. And since Christmas, this was the first time that we were out there. Uh, I told the story about how in the three rooms of food, uh, the only thing that was compliant was half a head of broccoli, some peppers and salad with no dressing. That picture's up on the Twitter too. Just look yeah. at it and weep. <laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, that was when this, I got this. Uh, my Christmas present from my mother-in-law. And when I got it, it was one of those things. You ever get those presents where you're like, I couldn't, I, it's something that I would, I've always wanted, but I never in a million years would bring myself to buy. <laughs> those are the best kind of presents, right? <laughs> they are the best kind of presents. And so my mother-in-law got me, uh, a star Wars force effects lightsaber, which is supposed to be like, it's supposed to be as a prop replica accurate. Right. Um, so it's really in, in it's Kylo Ren's lightsaber, which is awesome. Oh yeah. Uh, so I remember when all the merchandise came out before episode seven and like Kylo Ren was everywhere. And I had this conversation with a, a buddy of mine about the merchandise and he's like, what do you think about, Kylo Ren being on like that guy being on everything. And I'm like, I don't know if he's a, a badass or not yet. So I don't want to buy any of that crap. <laughs> and, uh, you know, cause you didn't, we didn't want to get burned. Like we did on the prequels and Kylo Ren's a badass. And uh, <laughs> I, I think a million times more terrifying Sorry. than Darth Vader. Just hit my chest. Like he does oh, inexplicably yeah. like, like awesomely. <laughs> so um, she got me a force effects lightsaber a Kylo Ren force effects lightsaber. And this thing is hefty. It probably weighs like three pounds. It's, and it's like the hilt is metal. Um, so it's like kind of cool right now. And the force effects are like known for having the like realistic, like it, it powers up like a real lightsaber. And, have constructed a new lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
It does call to mind that, like he made this, right? That's what they suggest yeah. about Jedi, right? That they construct so, lightsabers. Um, one of the, so I'm making the noises right now, and it sounds like really like, uh, it's so awesome having this. It really made me respect. I'm about to super geek out here. Uh, <laughs> sit back. <laughs> uh, it uh, really made me respect the design and how intentional it was. Uh, I remember a lot of people said, what is the purpose of having, a, um, you know, the hilt or whatever this, these things are like, there's no reason to have that besides the fact chopping off your own arm because you know, those little, Oh yes. Yeah. Like so little lightsaber for, for listeners, he's talking about, so the difference between say Kylo Ren's lightsaber and everyone else's is that it has this kind of cross effect. So there's the, the beam yeah. coming up from the top, but these smaller beams coming out of the sides that, so, yeah, you can see if you, if, if you were to imagine that holding that in your hand, they could, they could cut your wrist. And, and like the first time I had it out of the box, I, I turned it on and I went to swing it around. I hit one of those against my forearm and I looked at Ash and I was like, and I just cut off my my lightsaber arm. So oh yeah, like yeah. <laughs> you do you do the easy like Michael Dudikoff, American Ninja sort of d- easy like sort of forward swivel. You're done. Yeah, and look, look you're look, done. Look, you you swivel like that off. once more, and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. So looking at this, the purpose of those is he taught himself how to make this lightsaber because he was trying, he's trying so hard to be a Sith and he didn't know what he was doing. So those, the the purpose of those is an exhaust because his blade is unstable and he needs to vent the energy because he didn't purify his, his uh, kyber or cyber crystals or kyber crystals. He didn't refine those properly. And so he needed to vent the energy or else it would blow up and kill him. And so that's the purpose of those is to vent that extra energy. And if you look in the movie, his blade is not pure. Like most of the, like every lightsaber up to that point oh, it's like was jagged. a pure steady bream. But his like, if on the close-ups of it, the, it's like the blade is trying to escape. Like it, it, it can't, it looks almost like flame. Because it's the energy is wicking off of the blade again because he didn't know what the fuck he was doing when he built it. Oh, that's so fucking awesome! Because it's Isn't like that's so awesome. Like it, it plays into that whole thing of the last of the Jedi as well. Yeah, like he's yeah, trying yeah. to be that also, but in a yeah. different way. And it's not like this is not comfortable at all. Like to hold as a sword. Like I, I could not imagine. I, I mean, I, I have other swords. I could not imagine fighting. I'm sorry. With- go back up, back up a little. <laughs> go say more about that. Well, I mean, one of my presents at my wedding was a sword my brother-in-law made for me. He's a blacksmith. Like a metal sword? Yeah, like the Braveheart sword. What? He modeled it off of the Braveheart sword. Oh my god! I can chop wood with it. I I, I actually bent I bent it because I was chopping wood with it, and I hit a knot. I chopped like four logs with it, and then the, on the fifth log, I hit a knot and bent it, and I haven't bent it back yet. Jesus. So, I mean, so that <laughs> sword, that's a claymore. All right. That's a two-handed sword, which this is supposed to be modeled after. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it looks like the, that, yeah. That, that sword is, like, the sword my brother-in-law made me 
as big as it is, you can still move it around with that cheap Michael Dudikoff sword spin, one-handed I, with I that sword. I don't like it when you say it. <laughs> you don't like it when I say it? No, you don't have the respect. <laughs> oh, <I'm sorry. laughs> um, It's all right. <laughs> so so I, I can do that with that sword. This, it's, it is uncomfortable to do. Again, because he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. So you look at it and there's like, there's like a wire on the outside here. That's not, that's like running on the outside. Oh, it's wow. Not refined at all. And just like, so having this, it just made, like, I already respected I, the character Kylo Ren. I thought that it was genius the way that they played him off. Um, but this, I mean, this attention to detail with his lightsaber and just like, he was so desperate to be a Sith that he, I mean, the test of a Jedi was building your own lightsaber. And if you did it wrong, you would kill yourself because you're, it would blow up. Oh, really? Where does that come so from? That, I don't That was like in the expanded universe. Like that. I oh, heard that, shit. that that was like one of, at one point in time, that was one of the tests to become a Jedi was you had to build your own lightsaber and you like, you got one chance. You either did it right or you didn't. And the force Whoa. like was supposed to guide you in building it. Like in those novels. Yeah. yeah. I love so much the idea. I mean, you know, it's cause we're <laughs> sorry. I shouldn't implicate you, but as an old, as Twinkie taught me, the whole thing of in, in, in the, in the, in the time between so what 1983 and 1999 the, the the expanding of the Star Wars universe largely through yeah. these novel novels through these books yeah uh that Disney just that is one thing that I did not like about their acquisition I understand why they had to do it oh I don't know but this I still didn't agree with it what is it they when they bought the Star Wars franchise they throughout the entire expanded universe. Well, like they discount all those yeah. things, all of that, that existed up to that point oh. so that they could build their own expanded universe. Uh, that um, makes sense from their perspective and probably and the reach that those build, had. If you're going to make movies Fuck. that go the way you want them to go. You need to there. That expanded universe included what happened after episode, like return of the Jedi. Uh, Ooh, that makes me very curious about those books now yeah. in a way that and I wasn't so, before. <laughs> yeah, no, and I totally get that. Um, well, speaking of out of print, uh, not that I don't know if they're out of print, but I can remember them in bookstores. Wait, uh, you want to do shit? Uh, you want to do shit? Oh, yeah, says? let me shut this window. I feel like I'm getting an odd echo. So, yeah, no problem. I have to pee again already, but I'm going to use this as motivation to move through things in a relatively reasonable pace. Yeah. I haven't taken my Flomax yet today. I don't know if that would uh -oh. help, but I am old as fuck. Where is my... Oh, okay. So, yes, before we get to the uh, what would have been a nice segue, I do not want to leave out this one of my most favorite segments, which is Shit the Bride Says. Shit the Bride Says features selections from the clandestine Twitter page I started in 2010 to document the things my wife says that make me laugh so hard I have to stop everything and preserve them. 
She, of course, denies any and all association with the Twitter page from which these quotes are read. However, as the editor of said page, I can assure you, everything repeated here was most certainly said by... The Bride. So six days ago, from when I'm reading this, she says to me, Do you realize we are two grown-ass adults with good-paying jobs, and the curtain in our bedroom is a fucking blanket? <laughs> oh man, Ash and I got shit like that too. It's been like that for four years. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And then uh, on March 26th of this year, she says to me, and I wouldn't read this, but actually she doubled down on it. She likes this one. She goes, I don't want to hear your critiques of me. I just want to give you mine of you. And then, and then she comes back. I, I think I read that to her. And she goes, listen, I know I am terrible. I don't want the world to know. So, yeah, she knows it exists, but she refuses to listen. She's like, I just can't be involved in, in your nonsense. And then, uh, so then the last one for this week is also recent from March 18th. She says, I imagine you, like me, are always a little surprised by my uncanny ability to make a bad thing I said even worse. <laughs> uh, I love that, Brad. Too sexy for my love. That's good shit. Okay, so now to this this last transition of the. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh, please. I remembered what I also wanted to say. Oh, good. So. We were also talking about the sound that it makes, how it's like growly, right? Yeah, I was wondering about that. Okay, because because it's not a refined lightsaber, it doesn't sound like a lightsaber. Like that, it's like this, it's raw sound because it's raw energy. So it's like, imagine like a hot rod from the 50s with a glass pack exhaust system. That's what you're getting is like a, a no exhaust or an open exhaust on a lightsaber and it sounds like a hot rod. So it's like, Oh, it's just intimidating. It's just an intimidating weapon. That's what she said. But how did you come across all this information? uh, My dick's nickname in college, by the way, (laughs) intimidating weapon. (laughs) That is good. Actually, an intimidating weapon was its full name, uh, full nickname. Man, I've been waiting. That's like 19 episodes. Is this episode 19? Is this 18? Well, oh, I mean, we have done probably 19 or 20 like sessions, but yeah, this yeah. is 18. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, I finally so... got one. Finally pulled one off. But that one is so well done. Uh, I think you got to go back to episode one for that. And anyone that's been listening, I think... <laughs> who needs to be filled in on what the fuck with these guys always go back to episode one by the way do you know why i chose the title i did for episode one do we ever talk about that our episode the st- one the story of us yeah uh isn't that uh that's a movie with michelle pfeiffer and bruce uh, willis <laughs> and bruce willis <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Because that 
episode is the story of us, you and I. Yeah. But also, <laughs> we mentioned movie. We go through the movies that came out in 1999, and uh, that came up, and even and that was more. One of them, right. Yeah, it was one of them. Yeah, and even more fun is that there's a picture. I think it was from that episode on the Twitter. Was from when we filmed the second episode of Mind of Philip at Balcony Video with uh, Dusty. And right. it's the three of us posed at the video store counter. And one of the posters that is like hanging on the counter is the story of us. No <laughs> shit. Yeah. That's so awesome. I have a lot of fun with these titles, I have to admit. Yeah. And actually, this last one, after the uh, Moto put in a bunch of time to like make that last episode, all the special things that you hear, and uh, and uh, I'm I do the last pass on it and create the YouTube video and stuff on Monday, the night it goes up at midnight, and so it, it was it was pretty late, and uh, I just I was like shit, I don't know what to call this one. It was between two things, and I didn't know if he was still up. I'm like, he's still up because he stays up late, and. Um, I said, uh, he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm trying to decide between two titles. One of them is Mr. J and the One You Feed, which is the one we went with. Yeah. And the other one is Way Down We Go. Because I felt like we went pretty deep on some things. And, of course, that yeah. song came up. But yeah. he he he, uh, he echoed the uh, Mr. J and the, the One You Feed. But... Uh, Oh yeah, so it's it's really fun to build. Uh, <laughs> I you know I hesitate. We're about to talk about a world builder. <laughs> I hesitate to uh, to put ourselves in that company in any way, shape, or form. But the uh, all of these things we talk about go back so long and and span so many actual creative endeavors between you, me, and our and ever and, and you, me, and everyone we know. Is that the movie? Uh, maybe. Oh, I love that movie, and that yeah. is that is what I mean uh, when I suggest that. So, so let it, let us get to the. I think King that Corner. these roots, these are the roots of a universe that when we become famous, that we will, like we're we're sell, sowing the seeds for like our Applejack cigarettes and. Uh, oh yeah, you know the thing is the way like that, that I've always thought the way that I've mean. always thought about it. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I love Kevin Smith so much so early on is that I came to him at a time where I was both expressing myself individually as he was. Now, at the time, granted, I was doing so through mostly through The Crow and someone else's uh, creation, but I was doing stuff with my friends, and uh, that's what he was doing. And the famous part is really secondary to me, honestly, especially now, where... Like I've said before, with the guests and stuff, like these people are, they're in my world, in my yeah. Jersey universe, or whether it's the John Hughes universe or or the George Lucas universe or the J.K. Rowling or Stephen King, like the people, real people in my life and the things that we've made together, that stuff is, uh, is always at the forefront of my mind. So to expand that, that world in any way it means for me interacting more with those people and then the very idea that any of that might be as shared and appreciated by others is fucking nuts so this is one of the many reasons i appreciate this whole uh endeavor hell yeah man uh but uh so okay fucking king corner king corner beep beep (laughs) 
Come on over here, sugar buns. This machine just called me an asshole. All right, we're back, bitches. Old Man Almond is Pete again, and now we're going to talk about some Stephen King, or, or should we call him Richard Bachman? Richard Bachman. So, Dick Bach. Uh, Dick Bach. <laughs> Shit. I did not know this until I actually read the the Wikipedia page. I originally thought, and I even said, um in an earlier episode and I I would have to go back and listen to the introduction that Stephen King has in the re-releases of the Richard Bachman books I could swear though that it was something along the lines of it was his it was his dirty counterpart to his psyche that he could tell the stories that even Steve were too dark for Stephen King um and to support that, the dark half, the his his book, the dark half, is about a writer whose literal dark half is a, an alternate version of himself uh, becomes real and terrorizes him and his family, basically. Oh shit! That um, that's got a mind to Philip tie in as well. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> and, and and he has gone on record to say that was essentially like. Richard Bachman is based like is all Holy the inspiration shit. for that. Um, so that's one part of it. <clears throat> the business part of it, and the, actually now that I read it on the Wikipedia page, which again it's Wikipedia, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but but looking at it uh, and reading it, it makes total sense. It just was not good business for an author to put out more than one book a year. That's with it's kind of like the benchmark maximum uh, because you did not want to saturate your fans and you didn't, uh, they thought if they, he published more than one book a year, uh, it would, it would burn the Stephen King brand with his fans so he convinced his publisher to run with the Richard Bachman idea so that he could capitalize on publishing more than one book a year. Ah. And that makes, to- that makes total sense. I, it, when you hear it, like you, like that, ah, noise you just made, like that's the, like that helps support my argument. Like, yeah, it, it makes total when you hear it, like, Oh man, that makes total sense. Cause I was expecting based on what you told me, Rage, the book we're about to talk about, to be, which is the first one, but I always just expected the Richard Bachman thing to be like too fucked up to be associated with Stephen King. And that's a lot to say. (laughs) But this makes a lot more sense. Um, Not that that the other doesn't, but... the, The other piece of Richard Bachman was, it was, he also wanted to test, was it luck or talent? Ooh. Ooh. And he still has not... He still he says he still hasn't answered that question. He doesn't know if he became famous because of luck or talent. So you know what they uh, say you know, about that kind of stuff. You know, it's like ah oh, fuck, I can't remember the the correct quote, but it's something about 
uh, you know, preparation and talent meeting opportunity. You know, it's one of those things. It's it's not. It's right. all of that. Like it, it, it's ridiculous for him to think that he's not talented. Yeah, <laughs> well, of course. Um, or hardworking. All, Jesus all Christ. Mean, <laughs> what's that? I said it's ridiculous for him to not think he's talented, but or hardworking. Are you fucking kidding me? Like you yeah. got to create another person to keep yeah. up with the output. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh, and all of that being said, though, there is a definite flavor to everything that has the Richard Bachman name on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not necessarily the Stephen King flavor, which uh, Stephen King was bitter, has always been bitter about how soon he was ousted as Richard Bachman. Um, he had... He had planned a long career of Richard Bachman. Um, all, and it was a very elaborate prank. Uh, he had author card photos and, and, and spout that like the photo was credited to the wife of Richard Bachman. I just saw was, that. We'll share like, that on the Twitter. Like that, that I, I hadn't dug into that, but that surprised me. I was like, oh shit. That's like, who is that guy? Do, who is that actual guy? Do we know? Uh, it is, it, it's, Stephen King's literary agent. Ah, oh, that's so fucking great! Isn't that awesome? That's super awesome. God damn it! And that picture was probably taken by Stephen fucking yes! King. Like, <laughs> oh, just uh, stand so, there looking like an asshole. An asshole. And so an it's this huge elaborate prank. So when you hear, like, when you see the level that he went to. It is kind of depressing that he got ousted so fast, but the that story is fascinating too because it was a librarian or a bookstore clerk, I can't remember who, in the DC area who basically researched, noticed the similarities between Bachman's writing and Stephen King's writing. And then started to research the books and actually trace the copyright back with the library, the um, Library of Congress, and found that Stephen King held the original copyright to one of the books. So he, instead of doing anything, this is how you know it's like pre-internet era, right? (laughs) Because fucking trolls now, that shit would not have, like that shit would have been busted out for the rest of the world to see. Uh, in 20 seconds, he took all of that, sent it to Stephen King's publisher at the time and said, what do you want me to do with this? And two weeks later, Stephen King calls the guy, Stephen King himself calls him and says, look, uh, I want you to write, uh, I want you to write an article about all your evidence and I want you to publish it. And here's who's going to publish it for you. Oh, wow. So he like threw this kid a bone basically um, and was cool with it. But Stephen King says he died of cancer of the <laughs> cancer of the pseudonym, I think is what he says. Oh, um, my God. That's so great. Yeah. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh, this dude is a goddamn national treasure. Uh, has yeah. he been acknowledged as such, like as formally as that? Because 
it's got to happen in our lifetimes. Yeah. I know I'm like 40 years late to the party, but Jesus Christ with the Stephen King. <laughs> oh, here's what he says. In late, uh, let's see here. Identity was revealed later. Public uh, publicity dispatches uh, and about the author blurbs revealed that Bachman died suddenly in late 1985 of cancer of the pseudonym, a rare form of schizonomia. I can't even pronounce that. Schizonomia, which I don't even know what that is. I think I know, but I don't want to venture a guess. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's probably a form of schizophrenia or something. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> oh, fucking, I mean, it's so brilliant. It's just like brilliance <sighs> upon brilliance upon brilliance. And then, and then, so, okay, so he's ousted. There are these, this collection, this small collection of books that get put out, which include Rage We're About to Talk About. That was the first one that was published. The Long Walk, which is probably one of my favorite Stephen King Ooh. books, period. Ooh. Uh, so fucking good. Roadwork, Thinner, Ooh. And, and The Running Man. Uh, which those uh, are the two the movie, I mean, the two of those are very popular movies. On. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just so, threw down paper like anyone could see. <laughs> um, all of them are good. Uh, so... Those get published under Bachman before he gets ousted. He gets ousted. Then, and again, this is just evidence of Stephen King and the the power he has. If you if you don't, it, this is going to come up a couple times throughout this conversation. But it's he has so much power in the publishing world; it's ridiculous. And another here's another example of that. So he has stories that he wants to put out and he doesn't feel like they fit as a Stephen King story. So he decides, well, what if before Bachman died or after Bachman died, his wife stumbled upon a stack of manuscripts that never got published? <laughs> like Woody Guthrie and shit. That literally yeah. happened with good. <laughs> Fuck. For a fucking like, there is no wife. There is no stack of manuscripts. There is no garage that she stumbles upon them in. They're None gonna, of that exists. Uh, they're like giving to Jeff Tweedy to make in his brain, and then all of a sudden it's okay to publish these books. So they uh, come out as Richard Bachman books again. Oh my god! It's so brilliant, <laughs> like just so fucking brilliant. And the last tidbit about Richard Bachman. He got ousted as being Richard Bachman while he was writing Misery, which he planned really? to be a Richard Bachman book. That when oh. I read that, like that was on the Wikipedia page, mind blown, man. Like that's in and, and I've always felt that misery, while it's one of his best pieces. It does not have a Stephen King flavor. It ha after hearing that, it totally has a Richard Bachman flavor. Holy so it shit. makes sense that it was going to be a Bachman book. Let me ask you this: Having only read or listened to the first Bachman book, are they all small, contained stories like Rage yes. or Misery? Oh, yes. See, that's going to work well for me. I like that sort of thing. 
Um, they are they are all their own little thing and they're little short uh, just over novellas, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, it Probably was very like 300 page mark. But you also I mean? like Rage takes place in a single location largely. And I haven't read or seen Misery yet, but it seems as though it it does yeah. for the most oh, part yeah, as well. Not, it doesn't get it, it's not any more involved of a universe than would be in an, in a good movie. But I like That's, the uh, I like the 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 self can not self contained. I like the intimacy. Yeah, it's there. You don't have to keep track of a lot of different characters. It's easy yeah. to it's easy to track as a story, and you're kind of in that same space with these with these people. And, yeah, and, I mean, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe we'll read. Let's table that question until you read a couple more. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm excited. Oh shit! Yeah. You so you kind of set this up for me before, but uh, the I yeah, some of these tidbits are pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it, again, it's Wikipedia, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. But that page is is full of really awesome stuff uh, about the the Bachman story. So the first Bachman book to come out, I think that's right, right? Yep, as far as I know. The first Bachman book to come out was this book called Rage. Um, and <clears throat> I'll just get it out of the way so we tie it back to what I was saying before before we forget it. Uh, Stephen King let this book go drop out of publication. And that might not sound like a big deal, uh, but you have to think of... you. It's a true it's a sign of somebody that really has power in their industry when they can let something stop making money for somebody else. Um, it's also just the sign of like a good human being, you know, well, obviously well, it's, I, that's, no, that, that's how it reveals that's, itself. That is but 100% true. Yeah. I I'm sorry. And I don't, I didn't mean to come off that I was belittling that. Oh no, no, I didn't. I didn't think that, I, but, but, the, but it, like, it's just it, another way to spin like it. Sticking it to the greedy motherfuckers that are like, oh, well, we don't care what your morals are. We're going to keep making money on this where he would, you know, he's making money. Rage is still selling copies and he let it fall out of production. It's the same thing with uh, Stanley Kubrick did that with clockwork orange he started getting complaints. There were there were some articles were attributing violence with his film A Clockwork Orange, which it was and it was a blockbuster at that time. It was like in the top of the box office worldwide at that time. And he got so he got so disgusted with these flagrant. I mean, there was no evidence. They just said this movie is violent. So that causes these kids to be violent. That's basically yeah. all they were doing. He got so disgusted with it that he took this like top of the box office film and said, it doesn't play and it, it no longer exists in Great Britain. Oh, and I didn't know he was the one to do that. that that's pretty... he pulled it from the theaters oh. and from the shelves and was the reason why you couldn't get why there was only bootleg copies of that film in Great Britain until the 2000s. Holy until two, after Stanley Wow. Until Stanley Kubrick died. It was like wow. it took Stanley Kubrick dying before that sanction was lifted on Great Britain. His estate. Whoa. Like finally lifted it. That is such an 
I mean, that's obviously an iconic movie, an incredible movie. I saw it as a teenager and I yeah. was blown away by it. And the first time I saw it was with you at your house. Really? You had the Stanley Kubrick collection. I feel like it, I, I'm almost wondering if I've watched. Okay. I must have then. Maybe I've seen it twice. I don't remember. There, there was this time in my life in my late teens maybe not even late teens, mid to late teens, where I was watching some of these seminal movies because I was getting interested in making movies and they made such huge... I, I just remember so specifically the three of them renting VHS copies. So we're not talking DVD. We're talking VHS, The Exorcist, The Shining, and Clockwork Orange. And I remember watching them in my room that you can picture with the lights off. And... All oh, three of those movies were so mind blowing to me, and and was just like, what the fuck? Now, The Exorcist, I've gone on to see a billion times, and will go on record probably forever to say that that the original movie, not the version you've never seen or whatever the fuck, is is perhaps a perfect film. The Shining, I got no fucking complaints about that either <laughs> uh and but clockwork orange i've only seen once maybe then twice i've been too afraid it was so intense yeah. i've owned yeah, that movie on intense. dvd in the box set for easily 15 16 years and i've just never quite had the gumption to put it back in but i think about it a lot that's so i had no idea he was the dude to pull it that's if so anything, cool if anything, you have to watch the documentary that's on that DVD. Maybe that's what I about, watched with you. Uh, about, uh, about Clockwork Orange? Yeah, there's a documentary on that DVD that talked. That's where I got all this Great Britain stuff. It's about oh, it I don't banned. know if I've seen that. I don't. Because it was the. Oh, shit. The I want to see that. Fox that, that. That was the first time that it was available in Great Britain. And it's like all these people. <laughs> talking about how they watched like versions that were like so derivative. They were copies of copies of copies that like it was orange. It was like tinted green, uh, tinted green and orange. And, you see what you did? Yeah. There? Like, Oh, yeah. Hello. And what's so stinking about it? <laughs> and I only know that because of the clip we showed on Palmer's picks. Yeah. Who brought that on? Man, that's such a great movie. So speaking of shitty kids, <laughs> yeah. which Clockwork Orange is about. Yes. Uh, oh man, sorry. So Thank you. Get, so let's let's take it back to Rage. So yep. Rage is the first Bachman book. Stephen King lets it drop out of production. Why does he let it drop out of production, Dave? I'm I'm, I'm guessing it's because of Columbine. Is that right? Uh, not necessarily Columbine. So the 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 book is about a school shooting, essentially. Yeah, there's a there's like a two sentence thing uh, that from StephenKing.com. Sorry, I'm always okay, fucking reading ahead. on this podcast, but I really appreciate a no, well written sentence. So uh, and this the motherfucker can write one. Let me tell you. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, so this is from StephenKing.com. Uh, Rage paperback release, first edition, 1977. This is post carry, right? Just post. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think he's still in that high school frame of mind. And in, in any event. The synopsis, as presented on StephenKing.com, is as follows. Oh, I wish I had a Stephen King. I'm going to develop one, but yours is better than mine, I think. <laughs> anyway, so I'll read it in my own voice. Someday. Yeah, it's just everything comes out of the notes. Oh, it's something it's more specific. I even have a coworker who does this about lunch. He says, lunch. Oh, 
I want to do it so bad, but I can't. Okay. I'm reading it just like listen to needful things. Needful th- he reads Ooh. needful things. And that one you can get a good Stephen King after listening to that <sighs> one, let me tell you. My chronology is gonna get so the fuck fucked with this year because of it and Dark Tower and shit like this, but I'm okay with it because it's all yeah. awesome. Okay, I'm gonna read this quick. It's super fast. Yep, a disturbed no, please. Shut up. No, we're gonna cut that out. I'll not have you apologize in your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> A disturbed high school student with authority problems kills one of his teachers and takes the rest of his class hostage. Over the course of one long, tense, and unbearable hot afternoon, Charlie Decker explains what led him to this drastic sequence of events, while at the same time deconstructing the personalities of his classmates, forcing each one of them to justify his or her existence. There it is. Rage and it, and it does really. It, it, the shooting is very immediate, very unforgiving, very shocking. But then the rest of it, I think, is very psychological. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost. Uh, it, they they talk about it on the Wikipedia page, like it's almost like a psychotherapy session. Uh, it is, yeah. He does like a lot of sermonizing. He, yeah. Uh, there and there are a lot of passages that really struck me. Like I carry around, uh, you probably can't see, and it's bigger. It's small. Yeah. It's a pocket-sized notebook I carry around. Uh, a lot of my my I, <laughs> yeah. It sounds whatever. A lot of my last record was written in these kind of small books. <laughs> 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 when I talk about my arts, I sound a little bit like Billy D. Williams in Corp 45 commercials. <laughs> but uh, but I, so I carry these things around. So if something occurs to me and um, not fucking not for nothing, maybe the next record title just occurred to me today from Rage. Seriously, really no kidding. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I, I've listened to the, the, all of the Stephen King books we've gone through so far. And there are times where I'll reach, where I'll reach for these books and I'll write down sentences or couplets or just certain kind of visceral language that excites me. I was so surprised at how much I wrote down from rage, not just, and actually not so much of that sort, but just like, just surprising I don't know. I didn't expect this much. I don't know what I expected from this story because I felt it to be a kind of secondary Stephen King work. Yeah. But it, it really, which it is because it's a Bachman book, but it really resonated with me as something where this was somebody sharing something pretty visceral and obviously honest and, and thought through. Uh, And I mean, he worked as a teacher. So while he was establishing himself as a writer, he taught high school English. King also uh, was very political during college. Uh, He remained political through his career. And the more popularity he gained, the more he used that popularity I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not condoning or bashing uh, him doing this, but he used his popularity and his his work sometimes to promote that agenda. Uh, a lot of his work in the 80s is very anti-nuclear. Um, 
and the, that resonates through there. Hmm. So I can totally see a, a guy who taught high school through the 70s, watching these teenage kids graduate high school and get shipped off to Vietnam to be killed. Um, and I could see him like this book was him trying to give a mouthpiece to that, those teenagers. It, I, I mean, that's, that's, that's how I see it. And I couldn't, um, I couldn't help but wonder how much of it was left over from what he described. And I think on writing about where Carrie came from, right. you know, uh, and remembering how he treated certain being complicit in, um, I guess, bullying of a certain sort. Um, <clears throat> wow. Yeah. I literally think we could have excerpted that last sentence and, uh, and, and it could have been Twinkie. Like, I feel like I actually said it like Twinkie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. Um, but so I miss him at times like this. Um, but uh, yeah, so I... I was really struck by this 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 book in terms of the the pathos of it all. I don't know what I expected. I, I I thought it was I thought it was pulled back because of Columbine and the school shootings, and uh, and so I was really surprised at he he doesn't the so so the what we described the scenario that's set up there are there's a teacher killed at the very beginning I think two yeah. actually, but then the whole thing is this kid Charlie Decker in front of uh, his classmates in high school, as he says, getting it on. And he says, getting it on an awful lot. <laughs> in, in a way that I was like, I was trying to grasp, like, what does he mean by that? Yeah. He, do you remember that from hearing it? It's probably been a while since you heard it, right? Oh, really long time, because this is really early in the chronology. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I only listened to it one time uh, just because... Uh, it was totally new to me. It was the first time I had heard it, and it wasn't my favorite Bachman book. And the reader, the uh, the narrator is fantastic, but he is he definitely sounds like a forty five year old dad. Yeah, <laughs> reading this like seventeen year old kid, you know. Um, and so that kind of was a little off putting, especially considering that really the the commentary is that adults just don't understand kids and, or give them enough credit for the lives they living, actually meaning something, you know, just because they're kids. Um, so. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Um, I do have this book of notes and I know how it's droning on in the night and, uh, and, and the fear of, I, so let me just like run through some of these things. Feel free to jump in. The first one, and this is literally chrono chronological as I listen to the book. Um, so the right. first thing I made note of was, and I won't mention all of them. I, I highlighted a few. But getting it all is definitely a big part of it. He mentions oh, yeah. that there's a, a, a Mr. Hyde for every face. I thought that was very fascinating in terms of thinking about my own, uh, well, obsessions maybe, I guess. One of the things that drew me to Stephen King as an adult was the Dance Macabre book that was contextualized to me by Larry back in the day as being a book in which Stephen King basically draws 
every modern horror movie or story to the three paradigms of Frankenstein, Dracula, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which are all movies that I, and stories that I obsessed over as a, as a kid and made into movies myself and such. So you say something like Mr. Hyde, you got my attention, but so that was a line in the book. And I made a line here that says, it seems as though Charlie Decker wants to be sure that each student examines or acknowledges their darker sides. That seems to be ultimately his agenda, which takes a long right. time to get to. And yeah. Cause I just kept waiting for him to, to shoot more kids. Like I just expected that was going to happen. Right. Um, one of these other things. Uh, and honestly, the only kid that that happens to, they beat up. He doesn't like. Oh yeah, and that's at the very end. Let's but yeah. let's get into that. But let's say that because that was a surprise to me. That whole yeah. that whole thing. I I don't think I had quite grasped what the the novel was getting at at that until that point, or even even possibly after. Um, so I kept making note of, you know, we haven't gotten finished getting it on down here yet. He just kept saying that we're going to get it on. We're getting it, we're getting, we're getting it on. And here I'm just like, what does that mean? Did you ever have Mr. Dreher or no, sorry, excuse no. me. No. Hey, you're lucky. Cause I had him a lot. Uh, um, no, I can't think of his name. He taught foreign languages though in high school. Oh, Mr. Durr. Thank you, Mr. Durr. And he would yeah, read ac- excerpts from uh, ch- Chicken Soup from the Soul and stuff. Yeah. Why did I bring him up? Because uh, uh, he had a temper. Maybe he was reading a book called Rage. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. I'm like, sorry. The urban legend was that dude kicked, kicked desks across rooms at people. Yeah, he was very interesting because there was this, this myth about him as... Not myth. I'm sure it was true. I'm sure it was accurate that he was in Vietnam. He was a very yeah. small guy. Um, and he did, he, I don't, you have to be of a certain age, I guess, which is very possible of our, our likely demographic that uh, similar to our own age that, uh, if you remember chicken soup from the soul, these sort of self-help or I don't know what you would call them, like kind of little moral tales, um, he would read one before each class. So he would be like teach Spanish, but before he would get into Spanish, yep. he would read something from this book that I think he was trying to impart, I don't know, little nice life lessons for all of us that yep. was not at all necessarily a part of his job, but something that he wanted to do. Uh, and of course he's dealing with like high school kids, which are fucking idiots and dicks, <laughs> myself yep. included. Um, and uh, he, you could tell he was trying to, t- he, so he's starting a class like that. He has the things that he wants wants and needs to impart as part of his job, the language skills. But there was something underneath with him. Like uh, he, you could sense his his inner agitation, and eventually it would kind of burst out in these, you know, tiny bursts of rage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so maybe that's what made me think of him. And at the beginning of this story, uh, Rage, the, the, the central character of Charlie Decker just flat out shoots a teacher like that and then sits at the yeah. front of that class while the teacher's body lies prostrate on the floor and, yeah. and proceeds to talk to his peers in a way that from, and from a position of power, he never could before. Um, so 
and, and, and so maybe that brings me to this next note I've highlighted where he says, I'm not just a folder. Um, and by the end of the day, we're going to understand the difference between people and pieces of paper in a file. And, uh, that, yeah. So that, that, that struck me as well. Cause like, I don't know at the beginning of the story, you don't know, you, you can figure this kid for the bad guy, right? Like, I don't yeah. know. Like, he's, he's doing bad things. But he quickly kind of and becomes... I, think he, I don't the, think he ever stops being the bad guy. That's true. But but you sympathize with him because of... He, the whole thing is him spent either explaining how it was that he got to this place in his life and not excusing right. himself for the actions that he's taking, but then also trying to uncover the the underbelly of all of the students in the class it's fucking interesting man like it's it it plays like this demented version of the breakfast club you know (laughs) i even started to like cast people in my head it was like he was the most sort of uh, well and i wonder if instead of it defending teenagers like this is a mouthpiece for teenagers maybe maybe stephen king is placing himself in the main character's shoes because, I mean, he's teaching in his early 20s. He's not that far away from being a teenager. And maybe it's oh, yeah. him trying to say, wake up, teenagers. Like, you're all the fucking same. You're all dealing with the same bullshit and all your clicky shit and all the, you know, all that. It doesn't matter. Because, that I, I mean, that, I guess that's one of the messages, too, is that they find out through this that they're all really the same. Yeah, yeah. Because there's there's jocks and popular kids and not popular kids and all that in the class and as they're going through all of them, they end up finding out that they're all the same and they all kind of come together on the same culminating act, um, which is disturbing and it's you know <laughs> yeah. Let's well, let's save that for a little bit longer. Yeah, it's interesting they move there because obviously it's a short story. And I didn't know where it was going. And that surprised me where it ended up, I have to say. Because yeah. like I said, I kept expecting him to just continue to execute kids. But all he really wanted to do was be heard, uh, it seems, and and right. sort of seen. And seen for more than what they thought him to be. So, it was, right. again, it's like the Breakfast Club. It's like Bender, you know, uh, from the Breakfast Club, who's like talking about his terrible life at home. He's like, no, dad, fuck you. And they had the big sting and you got the jock and you got the popular girl that that's real, that's perceived to be a prude. And you got the geek. And I almost wonder if like, you know, John Hughes red rage and was like, Oh, I got to take on this. (laughs) Yep. Um, but so there, uh, so I have this other thing. Um, craziness is only a matter of degrees. The price of honesty is always high, which is very true regardless. But that got me on this little kick of like Charlie Decker reminds me of a less, a slightly less chaotic version of the Joker. You know, he's breaking down social contracts. He's, uh, he's like, you know, he pits those girls against each other and kind of makes them fight. It's like that moment in, in the Dark Knight, uh, well, the Dark Knight film where, uh, the Joker is trying to recruit people and he, and he like, um, he breaks the pool cue. He's like, we're going to have tryouts, you know? And he makes those two girls like fight each other, you know? Yeah. And, but, but at the time I thought it was just some kind of sick Joker thing. But then later I realized like he's trying to, 
get at something in these kids that is to sort of show them that they are all like him. Like the Punisher or the Joker, it's like you're all one bad day away from being me. Right, (laughs) right, right. And uh, I wasn't prepared for that, but I really appreciated it. Uh, It's like the Breakfast Club was like some kind of violent thriller. (laughs) I'm surprised it hasn't been made as such, but I guess maybe in a way like the Breakfast Club, maybe Breakfast Club is like ghost written as as rage. Rights to this, I don't think you. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, how how soon did he pull it? Because I didn't realize why. I thought so again, here, I thought it was Columbine, but how, um, when was it? Well, I found it in the Wikipedia page. Uh, so it says in December 1997, Michael uh, Carneal shot eight fellow students at a prayer meeting in West. Uh, Paducah, Kentucky. He had a copy of Rage within the Richard Bachman omnibus in his locker. Mm. This was the incident that moved King to allow the book to go out of print. What was that year again? I'm sorry. You 97. Said 97. So Ooh, Columbine. two years by Columbine. Yeah. Okay. So, huh. um, yeah. So an, an interesting little side note, I guess, from from all this, but but related certainly to the to the Richard Bachman angle. Um, so I have written down here that Decker's dad, uh, the 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 guy Charlie Decker, who's killing, uh, who killed the teachers and holding the students hostage, his dad um, reads books by Richard Stark, who his mother told him was actually Donald Westlake who wrote funny mysteries under another name, but the father only read one of Westlake's books and hated it, which is obviously some kind of like in joke about the the dichotomy between like how an author is presented and this sort of, this is what his work is meant to be. And sort of man's man might be like, I like that guy, but fuck this other guy, but really they're the same guy. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, he never ceases to amaze me, this Stephen King. Well, and what doesn't cease to amaze me, and this is how we're going to segue to the end here. uh, He has a way. I don't fucking understand how he knows people like that. And so he knows kids and he tells this story from a kid's perspective and you can buy it. And so this past week, the it trailer dropped, right? Yeah. And that I know I'd been holding off on starting a new book until we were getting ready to start the book club. And uh, that's taking a little bit longer than I was anticipating. And then that fucking it trailer came out. And I had to start it. I had to start it. And uh, what year it is, is it? What year is it? I, I believe it is 80. Shit. I don't know. Um, 80. It's in the mid 80s, I think. Okay. Uh, but a lot of the story has to do with when they were kids. And he has this way of like he taps into that world of being a kid. That is so uh, accurate. It's just amazing. Uh, 
I don't know. I think we should watch the trailer. I I, I completely and agree. Um, I actually think that um, the few things that I wanted to call attention to about Rage uh, before we get to that actually play into it quite nicely. There was a couple of moments. I'm listening as an audiobook and uh, everyone and I'm writing. I'm writing things down at stoplights. <clears throat> and uh, um. The there were a few things. There were longer passages that I didn't do that because I was like, "This is too much shit. I need to go back." And I looked at it, and one of them is towards the end. And Charlie says, uh, "When you're five and you're hurt, you make a big noise unto the world. At ten, you whimper, but by the time you're fifteen, you begin to eat the poisonous apples that grow in your inner tree of pain. It's the Western way of enlightenment. You begin." to cram your fist in your th- in your mouth and stifle your screams you bleed from the inside and so that's the place like from which this character is coming and it, and it's like this captive room of classmates open up about the indignities and the frustrations of adolescence and the hierarchy of high school and there's this other line that he says about like i had oh he says he says something about struggling through the open sewer that is 17. Oh. Yeah. And that's something. Um, so I don't you know. Have you picture in the rye? I have. Yeah. Only a few years ago. And actually, this, the narrator of that played a big part read, in it. I have not read this. Had not read uh, Catcher in the Rye? I have not read Catcher in the Rye. So, but I feel like it is like King's take on Catcher in the Rye. Oh, I could kind of see that. The, I came, I, you know, I like these sort of period accurate things. So when I listened to Kesser and the yeah. Rye, it was from, you know, like I could hear the crackle of the record and and the person yeah. reading it definitely informed my take on it. And it definitely yeah. is this kind of very specific point of view from a young person, <laughs> but it's presented, as you say, from someone much older and reading this kind of affect. And so right. I think that maybe didn't do it yeah. justice. That's something um, that just popped into my head. It just feels like I think you, I think you might be right about that, though. From, from what I've heard of, like it's like Caulfield is the main character's yep. name, right? Yep, and and not for nothing, but um, chasing Amy Holden is oh, Holden yeah. Caulfield. Like that's Holden the idea. Caulfield, yeah. yeah, got it. Um, well, uh, and and just before we get to to it, because I do want to get to that. This the uh, this, the I want to talk about the ending. Where ultimately, yeah, he hasn't killed any kids. He's pit a few of them against each other to like yeah. fight it out, these girls. And there's this one guy, this kind of jock guy who would be played, in my estimation, in the Breakfast Club version by Emilio Estevez. Emilio fucking <laughs> Estevez. Yes, it would be. <laughs> Ted. <laughs> Ted. I think his name is Ted. Um, at the end, they're like, he's saying like, what needs to happen? Like you all know what needs to happen. He's saying this. I'm like, I don't know what needs to happen. Like who who knows what needs to happen. And um, he says like, have you learned anything today? Who knows? uh, Who knows the final order of business? And evidently it is for all of these students to pressure this one guy who was against Charlie um, and wanted to kind of take him down. He was an ex football player. All I can think of is a breakfast club. He's like, you don't know the kind of pressure it's on me. I imagine him dancing in a room and yelling in the glass shaking, but 
But so they all like descend on this guy and they kind of make him crack or, or, or break or, or admit his frailties. But you yep. kept, you kept kind of mentioning is that, is that sort of how you would characterize where they ended up? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, but they physically beat him to the point that he can't leave the classroom under his own devices. Right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, it gets kind of, it, but he's not the one that does it. They do it. Like, so these are his, his quote unquote victims who ultimately end up turning on one of their own and beat him to a pulp that to the point that he can't leave under his own power. Like that's, but do you like, do you, do you feel like they did that? I, I, I'm not quite sure I get it. That's what I mean. Like I expected this to be a piece of like, violent pulp fluff and I'm still thinking about it and I'm not sure I completely get it. And that kind of blows my mind. Like, do you think that, what do you think was the, what do you think he was saying by that? Do you like, do you think he was the point with that character was that character hadn't opened up? He did a little bit. Like it was that whole thing about like, yeah, my mom fucks people. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, um, I don't know. I maybe I don't I don't think I get it. I needed to listen to it again. I mean, this is years ago I listened to this. I mean, I just finished and I'm not sure. Like I feel like it's it's like the Breakfast Club, you know, that whole thing where they all reveal parts of themselves that they're not right used to exposing to people right. for whom they would to whom they would never expose it. And I wonder if they just resent that guy so much for not joining in on that um, it's that like, could be it. It's like as though everybody is, asserts or understands at some point as as Charlie talks with the cops oh, outside right. and stuff. No, no, I got it. Oh, good, go. Cool. <laughs> the whole point of it is like he's trying to rip down that hierarchy of high school, right? Mm. Yeah. And this jock refuses to. He wants to stay to the old ways. Yeah. So they beat him because. He there beyond still it. be a jock, right? Yeah, that's why they so like because it's so funny. Like don't he because he didn't conform. That's why they beat him up. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and it's Watch funny too because because they actually I'm, paint that guy as like he's this football player who decided that football wasn't cool anymore and wouldn't play right. it. Like they at, at right. first I thought him to be more like. Is it the Tommy character in Carrie where the guy that asked Carrie out who is? Oh, right. I thought him to be more like that. And so I was like, oh, he's like this kind of okay guy who ends up being complicit in something yeah. unfortunate. But that does sound right. What you said in terms of he's the only one who won't step outside of those roles that they have all been put into. Right. Uh, and they force him to, and it seems as though that that's Charlie's ultimate aim in some right. regard, which in some way doesn't feel especially well thought out unless that was his goal to get every one of the students to do that in some way, man. Mm. I mean, you just don't picture that movie end or that, that show ending with like, don't you forget about me. <laughs> and he's like, got his fist. <laughs> it's uh it's a bit, it's a bit more, uh, Bittersweet, more like Heather's, I would say, than uh, than the Breakfast Club. But nonetheless, about adolescence, and we're gonna st- take one step 
back further into preteen terror, I think, right? With it. Yeah. With it. So let's just let's just end on it. Let's let's watch this together, yeah? Let's watch it together and then let's just then we'll roll out after that. Yeah. There because right. there won't be I mean we could talk, but I haven't seen it yet. This is more just like ain't this fucked up? Can't wait. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. So um I got it all queued up. Do you have yours queued uh, up? I'm looking at my chat. Um Oh, there it is. Okay. This came through. Okay. So it should be like uh people with rockets coming out of their feet is the first frame. It's the annual I got a ad, of course. Uh so let me get through the ad. I think it'd be worth it. I mean, I, I could see us taking two months doing a book club. <gasps> Holy fuck. On this. I mean, this it is as long as the stand. Oh my god. It the the it's like it's almost a thousand pages. It's a huge book oh. that takes that centers around eight characters, where the stand is a huge book that centers around like sixty characters. Okay. Okay. It's so awesome. Hmm. All right, you ready? But can I listen to the Dead Zone in the meantime, or do I have to wait? Well, it, oh, you can listen to the it'll Dead Zone in the meantime. Me. We're not ready to go on the book club yet. I mean, we'll get, the Dead Zone. we're getting close. How long is the Dead Zone? Dead Zone's like reasonable, right? Yeah, it's reasonable. Okay. And I know that's All coming right. out. In any event, we're going to do this now. Like, I'm going to, I don't know what comes after the Dead Zone. I think it's Firestarter. I've already ripped it. But I'm willing to break analogy <laughs> for this. Okay, so we're going to oh, watch yeah. the It teaser trailer from the... Yep. Uh, and uh, I got it queued up. Let's go uh, on three. Three. Which, by the way, this She's already starts out Thanks. almost identical to the book and to the video. So awesome. Really wise choice. Because they're letting you know, like, we're, we're going to stick to what's familiar. All this grabbed me right away. Like, I don't know anything about this, but even just chasing that fucking boat. Oh. Yep. Oh. And the rain and the camera movement and stuff. I gotta yep. dig into who made this. Oh, why? <laughs> oh. And, oh. God damn, is that so great. There's not like any time I've ever been in before. And this looks like Stranger Things. I was not prepared for this. I didn't. Um, I didn't realize this connection. So it is like an '80s kid adventure movie, like The Goonies or ET. Really? Or, yeah. It, oh. It's like reading that. It's like reading a book. That's one of those movies. There he is. Yeah. I'm so I can't remember his character's name. Will, there's Will. It's all connected by the sewers. And Wolf, uh, what's his name? The, the kid with the glasses back there. That's the kid from Stranger Things. Yeah, uh, Will. Yeah. Uh, the, and and it also reminds me of like Monster Squad and the Goonies. Yep. Fuck. I had no no God. They're going they're going through it. No no. I love they don't show you him all the way. They show you enough. Fuck. 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 Bill, if you'll come with me. Oh, and the kids are complicit. 
exciting i just feel like for for all the things that are going wrong in the world that we won't name this show has been a and the the things surrounding it have been such a conduit of of uh of joy and positivity like you know it is a movie is a book that came out in the 80s like all this stuff like i've never read any stephen king suddenly you and i reconnect in the summer and you're like i've been going through the chronology for three years and I've just started and oh I just feel so lucky this is and then there's these fucking movies like these iconic these iconic stories yes Dark Tower and it in like three months August it comes out in September it's like back to back oh what am I gonna do yeah Well, I'm going to read them, oh, listen no. to them. Okay, I'm going to so watch them. I could give you, I could ease your mind on the dark tower a little bit, but it would involve spoiling. And I don't, so I don't need eased essentially. Well, here's, I'm, I, I could make it so that you wouldn't have to fret about trying to get through the dark tower series before the dark tower movie comes out. Oh, that's right. Cause you have a, an idea of how the order, the proper order, right? Well, the, it's not just that it's or, or the it's best order. There's a, there's a key. There's a key piece to the story that justifies the movies. Mm. And to explain it though, it pretty much gives away the like the punchline to the Dark Tower. So and which I don't want to do really. Well, do you think I should just in terms of the Dark Tower? So I've got time with it. With uh, so which one is which? Which is uh, I would just watch the movies, the Dark Tower movies. I wouldn't worry about trying to read the Dark Tower book. Let's just say that. Okay. Okay. Do you feel good just, about just the casting the and stuff? T- like if that's yeah. going to be who I picture and what? Don't even worry about it. Like don't even worry about that. Just let the Dark Tower movies be the Dark Tower movies. And when you get to the Dark Tower books, get to the Dark Tower books. Okay. I and not for nothing, them. but when I get to the Dark Tower books, uh, I will, I will a. Only out of my deep love and respect for you, abide by this. But start with what three? Is that right? No, uh, two, three, two, one. Oh God! Five, six, seven. All right, I'll do that. <laughs> but w- yeah. what I'm gonna do and with? If you really want to do it, you would do two, three, one, four. The wind through the keyhole, which is the last book that he just put out, which is a little mini story. What? Then five, six, seven. Oh my God! I will consult you along the way. This is madness. Uh, <laughs> I, I, no, it, it it totally is. I I would recommend though you go through if when you start the Dark Tower, just do the whole series. You mean just so stay with to, it, whatever yeah, with the order, to like those seven books at once. You should do them all together. I will recommend that. Even though there's going to be Stephen King fans that might hear this at some point in time and be like, "You motherfucker, <laughs> I had to wait forty years <laughs> to like hear all of those books." I'm telling you, we don't have to do that now. We're the fucking grownups. <laughs> you whatever the fuck you want. You can listen to them in any order you want to, and I say you listen to them all back to back. Oh, buddy. 
my God. Listen, Uncle Palmer's people. I I am Uncle Palmer's plural. I am going to as well. But I, what I wanted to tell you is we still have the discs that you made the bride because of the the oh. influence on Lost. So you burnt yeah. her these discs. So that's my yeah. ambition is to use yeah. those with your handwriting okay. and everything. So I'm we'll excited about they, that. If they work and if not, then we can do whatever we need to do. But all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the Long Walk Short Drink episode number 18. Uh, I'm Palmer. I'm Dave. And uh, we will we'll catch you on the flip side. Fuck yeah. Cheers. All right. Adios, guys. Adios. Man, thanks for this. This is uh this is better than therapy. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. Absolutely, man. Thank you. You bet. All right, man. Love you, buddy. Love you too. Bye. All right. Yep, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>